felt the, the burden that Ben had when, when you have somebody that's praying and their situation goes on or the, the healing isn't done or whatever and, and what do you do about that? And you could just hear the heartbeat of uh, his uh, relation there when they said, help, help, help. And that's sometimes about all you can do. And I appreciated the story of Esther again. And I think it would make, I, we were searching for why is it in there, which you do sometimes in some parts of the Bible. But there are a lot of lessons. And it somehow seems like it would make a good movie. Uh, it, there's so many little turns and twists it's almost like you know Ruthie and I sometimes in our life something happens and then we say hey you can't make this stuff up and sometimes our lives the turns and twists and struggles and hills that we are on uh, we think well this is the first this happened but we see back in the Bible times there was the same amount of twists a couple announcements and I I have a couple comments and uh, we have uh, a morning, a different morning lined up. It's, this is Troyer morning. We have Clinton Troyer sharing, and we're looking forward to that. And we have Jerry share, uh, sharing after that. So uh, settle in and, uh, and uh, see what the Lord has for us this morning. Uh, we have family scramble this evening. Does someone have any, uh, is there anything to say on that? Or are we all pretty much squared away? Okay. Okay. Anybody have any questions? Uh, talk to Marlon. School devotions, Marlon Schrock. Wednesday evening, we have a men's meeting. And I'll just give you just uh, uh, what's on that agenda there. Um, it would be on paper, but Todd sent it to me. And I looked at it and I thought, that looks good to me, but I didn't do anything about it. So he was waiting on me there, my, my problem. But we have a few memberships up, updates. We're going to explore uh, Wednesday evening to have once a month, uh, Wednesday evening as a ministry to, to help and reach out a work night instead of prayer meeting. We're going to ex- explore your thoughts on that. And we're going to talk about the decorations. And I'm excited about that. So... Uh, Come and just uh, put your input in on that there. So, I feel a little sheepish, but I'm going to take two minutes here. Uh, Ruthie and I were at a Anabaptist symposium, which I had to look up or, or figure out what that means, and that's a study of a subject. And the studying of the subject was on sexual abuse awareness in the Anabaptist churches. So it was full. It was 800 plus. And it was, I want you to picture this. It was the Lancaster County DA, district attorney, the chief of police, and a judge, and an individual who for 20, 30 years has been in intake of all the children uh, in Lancaster County. And in the middle of that was a very, very conservative uh, wanger person. Uh, and a lot of you, you people, it, it's like there's different, there's Amish and there's Beachy Amish and Old Order Amish and wanger and Mid-Atlantic and Eastern. And there was, all, everybody was represented there. And they asked questions, and it was a 
And they said, how did this come about? And I wanted to just take a minute. Fifteen years ago, through a state, uh, state has oversight and a mental hospital in there, and they had quite a few issues of mental illness in 30, 35-year-old ladies. And as they traced it back, it, it often mostly arrived at one place, and that's abuse in their childhood. And, and they asked the judge, and they asked the chief of police, and they asked him, what advice do you have for the Mennonite churches and the Amish churches? One thing he said, the chief of police said, people, you have to look at your children's phones. You have to keep a grip on that. Chief of police in Lancaster County there. He says, uh, parents are, have their head in the sand when it comes to this phone thing. And his, his uh, advice was, or his thought was, you can take a brick and throw it off of an overpass and uh, hit a windshield on a car and kill somebody and it's an evil weapon. Or you can take that same brick and you can build um, uh, what he, I thought it was interesting what he used. You can use, build an orphanage in Guatemala and it becomes a beautiful thing. That was his thought, but his warning was you absolutely got to, you got to uh, take, uh, but anyway, that's, that's as far, and there was, some of you people will know Glenn Hoover, Richard Bean, Howard Bean's son, they had some speakers there like uh, uh, Dr. Tim Clinton from Focus on the Family and John Koblenz, and I was really blessed by the meetings, and I'm getting the tapes, and if some of you have some interest in them, let me know there. I might say just a few things maybe five minutes in the men's meetings on that. We're looking forward to it. Clinton, come on up here and let's have a prayer before you get started there. And that thing you can stick in your pocket or uh, it takes just a little bit to get used to it. Don't let it uh, mess you up here. Okay. We're glad you're here. Yeah, I think they'll turn it on back there. We're really glad you're here and we just want you to to share what the Lord put on your heart, and we're looking forward to it. Let's have a prayer. Lord, we thank you for your divine appointments, and we just pray that you would be with Clinton this morning and bless his sharing, give him clear thoughts, and help each of us that are here to catch what you have for us this morning through using him. We thank you for times like this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless. Thank you. God cares about you. As a matter of fact, um, he's obsessed with you. In Psalms, he says he knows our downsitting, he knows our uprising, he knows everything about us. He knows our thoughts before we think about it. And I kind of want to relate that to um, fathers and sons. Um, we call God our Father, and that's right. And as you all know, <clears throat> I lost two of my boys. It's about six months ago. And 
As fathers, we love to see ourselves in our sons. We look for that. Sometimes it's not the best thing. But overall, we like to see ourselves reflected in our sons. And God is that way with us. He's very, I had to think about uh, during the devotions where I think it's been, you were sharing about you killed the spider and how we are kind of that in uh, in the eyes of God. But he's still very interested in everything that we have going on. And he cares a lot. <clears throat> and to kind of take it back, I grew up just like most of you did here in a good Christian home. Um, but for some reason, I always felt like I, I didn't fit in. We moved a lot, it seemed, in, in my younger years. And I had several near-death experiences. Um, one of them, I was actually declared dead at the scene. And I still walked away from God through all of that. Tried to muscle my way through all the, you know, trials that come through life. Life is hard enough without making it harder on yourself. And I spent a lot of years doing that. And in the middle of, in the middle of all of that, I remember one night, I, I call it a vision. It was, it was more than a dream. Um, Jesus was in my bedroom. And I saw him. And he had his arm out to me. He didn't say anything. And then he was gone. And I woke up in a sweat. And it haunted me for a long time. And I still wasn't at the end of the end of my rope. And life went on. Um, my first wife and I, we separated. And in the middle of all of that, she became pregnant. And I had, we got married because she was pregnant. And we talked about it. And we said, we're not going to stay together because you're pregnant. So I had this son. And I had begun a relationship with another woman. My life was was really a mess. I worked hard. I had a good business. But on the personal side of it, my life was really a mess. And I'd started a relationship with another woman in the meantime. So I had this son who was coming. And he was born. And I was obsessed with spending time with him. Every day after work, I would leave work and I would go home, what I called home, over to where my wife was living. And I'd spend at least two hours every night. And at the time, I didn't know why I had such a drive to spend time with this boy. But I did. I couldn't get enough of him. And in the middle of all of this, this other woman that I was seeing, she became pregnant too. So I had two sons born out of really extenuating circumstances. 
And I had determined in my heart that these boys were going to get the best of me. And I'd, I would do anything I had to to spend time with them. And I, I often thought about it. Why was I so driven to spend time with them? And now I know. My time was this short. And it also became clear to me that God was looking at me like that. He kept putting things in my way, and I kept ignoring it. But God was determined to... He wanted me. He wanted to spend time with me. And... I would think about all of this <clears throat> and it would haunt me but it would never I never came to the end of myself still through all of that time went on the boys were growing up they wanted to do everything that I did they were they were proud of me and I used to think, I kept thinking, if these boys only knew what dad was actually like. And I thought, someday I'm going to have to make a change so that these boys can grow up and be proud of their dad. But you know, that day seems like it never comes a lot. You keep putting it off. And I'll never forget my second, I, I got married to my second wife and we separated about a year before the boys died and it became a very nasty, ugly relationship and I had our son that we had together with me most of the time but I loved this woman and I wanted to be with her as wrong as it was. And we ended up in court in a nasty fight. I hired the best attorney I could get and I was determined to win this fight. And I remember sitting out in my truck. We weren't talking. In fact, we had a no contact order. I watched her pull up in her car and I was sitting in my truck and I was broken. And I told God, I said, fix this. I want you to fix this. Do whatever you have to to fix this mess. Well, we were in trial for five hours that day. And at the end of it all, the judge came out, sat at the bench, and he goes, I don't need any more. I've made my decision. And he ruled in my favor 100% all the way through. And I walked out, and I was like, Wow. He really answered my prayer. But I didn't know. It was probably one of the few honest moments with God when I prayed to Him that I didn't know what I had released. Because God hears us when we pray. Even when we're in a, not in a right relationship with God, He still hears us. And He took me at my word. And I felt like things were going to come together. And little did I know that about a month later, 
it would all end. I felt like it ended. We took off, the boys and I took off on a June morning. And just so you know, this is the first time I've ever shared this story in public. Um, everything was going great. It was a two-day rafting trip. We spent some time fishing, shooting guns. We took fireworks back and we were just having a great time. We took off the next morning after we ate breakfast and in a second everything changed. I tried to save him, but I couldn't. I drug myself out of the river. I was exhausted. I was hypothermic. It was a crushed puddle of humanity. <clears throat> and I knew in my heart they were gone. But I also knew... In that instant, it was, it was subconscious, but it was very clear what had to happen. What this all meant. God had taken two of the most precious things I had and moved them to the other side of the veil and said, if you want to see him again, you know what you have to do. And that's the mercy of God. Not everybody gets that chance. I had a lot of chances. But for some reason, God knew what it was going to take and He did it. He let it happen. And a couple days after, I, as I was thinking about all of this and what it all meant and where my life had to go, it suddenly hit me that God knew what I was feeling. Because he watched his son die too. And sometimes we uh, feel like we go through things in life and we're the only people that know what it feels like. And that really, it kind of stopped me in my tracks. God watched his son die. And he didn't try to save him. And there was a reason for that. As a matter of fact, when you read in the scriptures, in Matthew, uh, when, when Jesus died, it talks about how the sky turned black and there was an earthquake. I think that was God's grief watching his boy die. 
the scripture talked about, you know, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But he had to let him go for a guy like me and all of us here today. It was the sorrow of the father. He turned his face away from his son. And when you think about when you're faced with a situation like this, watching your boys die and being swept away, in the face of darkness like that, there's, there's choices you can make. There's fear or faith. They both are looking into the future. Fear is a negative reaction. Faith is positive. In Mark 4 it says, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And what I'd like to share with the young people here this morning, sometimes it feels like you're going nowhere. You're with your parents. You have to go to church every morning. You go to Sunday school. You'd rather be somewhere else. But I can tell you that when you're faced with a trial like this and everything is stripped away from you, you fall back on what you know. And if you don't know God... If you haven't been taught, you see a lot of people around you who have nothing to fall back on. They don't know where to go. Be thankful for what you have. Your parents love you. Your church loves you. But I can promise you that sometime in your life you're going to face a situation where the only thing left is to fall back on what you know. And be thankful for your family, for your church, for what you're taught. Because if you don't have that, you'll end up a wreck. And I did that for a lot of years. And I feel very, very fortunate that God was merciful to me to give me a chance again. We can find a lot of peace in a situation like this when we think about heaven and what He is put in place for us. The Bible says we see through a glass darkly. But then we're going to see him face to face. And I can't wait for that day. When you read about King David, he had that baby boy out of an illegitimate relationship. The prophet came and visited him. And that boy died. 
And it says in Second Samuel, I just want to read a little bit about it. He, the child was sick, and David um, didn't eat food. He was very unto himself, and the child died. And his servant said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he will not listen to us. How can we tell him that his child is dead? And I never felt so alone in my life. Is laying on the banks of that river. And my boys were gone. It was final. How do you deal with that? Where do you go from there? And I read this verse in Second Samuel. He says... But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him. And I read that. And that is my life now. That's all I care about. Is to be with them. But between now and then, I have to live my life. And I have to be in God's will. He said in this same passage, I wept and prayed for a miracle and none came. So what is left to do? I had a few minutes of that. I prayed for a miracle. I was hoping against hope that something happened, that I would find them on the riverbank. The worst two hours of my life, there was a camp of people right there that I didn't know. And once they got me warmed up, they put me in a raft and we had to float for two more hours down the river I didn't know where my boys were and every second floating down that river for two hours I was looking for them and I couldn't find them And all I could think about was uh, in that time period is why this? Why them? And uh, I'm at peace with it now, but when we go through those times in our lives, it's okay to get angry. It's okay to question God. It's human. The scripture is full of people 
what we would call mighty men of God who who doubted, who had doubts in their mind. John the Baptist, when he this was after he baptized Jesus, heard the voice from heaven, was thrown in jail, and he sent somebody to Jesus and said, "Are you the real dude? Are you the real guy?" And Jesus went. Jesus didn't condemn him for that. He sent that person back and said, "Tell John that." The deaf are hearing, the blind are seeing. This is real. But through all of that, your heart must remain open. Because at the end of that dark road, you will find God standing there. He's there. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but He's there. He'll take your shattered, decimated, anguished heart and he'll start to heal it if you let him. If you let him. Your heart has to be open. Where do I go from here? For me, it's all about making it to the finish line. It's all I care about. And taking as many people with me as I can. That's really all that matters. We spend a lot of time working, building our empire of dust. But that all goes away in the end. And all you have left is what you've done that matters how is your heart where are your priorities this last summer has been obviously a really trying time for me you know lose half of your family lose your wife kind of get to feel alone feel like Is it really all worth it? You doubt it. One day I got a text on my phone. And it took me a minute to figure it out. It wasn't a phone number that I'd saved in my phone. And I read it. And it said, I'm hurting. Life just isn't worth it. I feel like I want to end it all. But I have three kids. And this is a lady in town. She probably doesn't know who the dads are to the kids. But she said, I drove by your shop and I saw your truck there. And I figured if you're out working, I should be doing something too. And sometimes in your darkest moments and you feel like you don't matter, like you're not producing, you're not doing what you feel you should be doing. People are watching. People see. And living your life, even when you don't feel like it, there's many times where I didn't want to get out of bed in the morning. 
I was hoping I didn't wouldn't wake up. But there's people out there who are watching and God can shine through you just by getting out of bed and going to work. People can see that. I heard a fellow talk the other day about cemeteries. And he said, cemeteries are some of the richest pieces of real estate in the world. And I thought, what is he talking about? And then he said, cemeteries are full of unwritten bestsellers, unstarted businesses, unfinished relationships. Everybody has a story to tell. And our, our, our challenge is to leave it all on the field. Don't take it to the grave with you. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy said, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. In 2 Corinthians, he talks about being beaten, cold and naked and hiding and hungry and bitten by snakes. Now there's a fellow that when it came to the end of his life, he said, I'm ready. I've done everything I can. And I just want to challenge all of us here today that it's really easy for us to get comfortable with our families, our homes, our businesses. We get kind of lackadaisical about life. We don't talk to people very much about God and what God's done in our lives. We're tired. We just want to go home and kick back and get on our phones. But what's what happens when you're buried and you're in the cemetery? What all was left that you didn't do? That you could have done? I think about that with my sons. It's the most heart-wrenching thing to follow the hearse into a cemetery and there's a big giant hole for two people. But my sons lived their life to the fullest. Every day was an adventure. Every day was about going with dad, mowing lawns, whatever we were doing, riding four-wheelers. They did it 100%. And that is the... That is the challenge I want to leave with all of us. Leave it all on the field. Don't die. Don't leave this world with a lot of things you should have done.
I, just, I wasted a lot of years, but God was merciful and gave me another chance. And for that, I'm very grateful. So thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Amen. <coughs> what were the boys' names there? Cash and Grady. And how old were they? Nine and ten. Nine and ten. Uh, that was a testimony. I, I couldn't help but thinking, Marge, how you'd come once in a while on a Wednesday night and say, Hey, would you pray for my brother Clinton? And sometimes we have these prayers on a Wednesday night and we yawn almost there somebody have something to, a word of encouragement to say to him or a word of uh, any kind of questions you have words that are going to keep ringing go ahead there. And I, I thank you for that. And I wanted to tell everybody here, thank you for your prayers. I, I meant to say that. It, it's the only way to make it through something like this, is, is prayers and, and knowing that you're being held up before God. And I thank all of you for that very much. Leave it all on the field. Leave it all on the field. What is, what is real to, to you? Uh, what matters and perspective like this draws it all together. And one of the things he said is he's going to do everything he can to reach the finish line. This one thing I do. And uh, sometimes we lose that perspective or lose that motivation. Thank you for yeah. And also your thought when you were talking about how tough this was. I mentioned it was God's mercy. Mm. And, oh man, it's something that boggles my mind sometimes. Yeah. Things are tough. I thought so many reasons why it doesn't seem like God is fair. Yeah. Like um, right yeah. But seeing how he's doing it because he loves me to make me a better person, mm. I really struggle very much with that. Yeah. Really encouraging to hear it again. Yeah. Amen. I was also made me think of what my memories are and what mm-hmm. I am time to Live for Christ. Leave it all on the field because of what He did for us. Let's just stand, change a position, and have a prayer. And Jerry, will you come front here, please, there?
Thank you for coming out here. We appreciate it. Lord, we thank you for this service. We just pray that you would continue your work and be with Jerry as he shares to us. Bless his ministry and use him once again how you have in the past to affect our lives here at Northwood. Again, we thank you for this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless. I invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. It's a blessing to be with you here again, and we greet you in the name of Jesus, and uh, grateful for the work that God continues to do in hearts and lives as uh, people open themselves to to, to Him. One of the things that blessed me as Clinton was sharing was the note of gratitude that came through. Gratitude to God for his long-suffering, for more opportunities. Gratitude to God for using a very difficult situation to draw him to himself. Now, this being the Thanksgiving season, my mind went to gratitude. And so I'd like to share a little in relation to that this morning. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, speaking of Christ, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for that, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. And I'd like to spend some time analyzing verse 15 in particular, the uh, time that we have here. Um, by the way, Claire told me 10 to 15 minutes, so you might get to go home a little bit early today. <laughs> but uh, we'd like to, to look at this. Wednesday morning, um, I asked my 5th and 6th grade students, by the way, I had a career change in case you're not aware of it, when we moved to Pennsylvania to help my in-laws there. And I'm back in the classroom in enjoying it, although building cabinets is a lot easier than teaching school. But uh, my, uh, I asked my 5th and 6th grade students about things that they find it difficult to be thankful for. And you know, students that are an average about 11 years old, uh, a difficult lesson is a trial. And they have subjects, for example, that they don't care so much for and a few different ones popped up with subjects in school that they don't particularly care for they have a hard time being thankful for that one of them that came up was math and so I simply said stop and think what life would be like without math if we didn't have numbers we had no way of making calculations and so on their eyes got big as they absorbed the implications of that You know, sometimes we face situations which are kind of like a tough math lesson to an 11-year-old. And Brother Clinton shared the extreme of that that we as adults experience. I also recall a number of years ago in a a difficult situation that I was going through personally, a brother said to me, he said, Jerry, God often gives his best gifts to us in wrapping paper that we would reject at first sight. 
And there's much truth in that. Those things that are the least pleasant are often the most useful in the formation of our character, in the formation of conforming us to the image of Christ, as it speaks there in Romans 8. We like Romans 8, verse 28. It says, All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And then verse 29 gives us the purpose that we might be conformed to the image of his Son. And so God gives those gifts at times that seem not so much like gifts to conform us into the image of his Son. And that's where I believe this sacrifice of praise enters the picture, at least to some extent. There are various facts that we could take in relation to that, but that's what we'd like to notice, especially here this morning. We are to offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And it's interesting to find how often the word sacrifice and praise and sacrifice and thanksgiving are connected in the scriptures. I can't give you an exact number of that, but I reviewed some of that in preparation for this. But there, those words are often tied together. And as it says there in Thessalonians, we are to give thanks in everything. And as, as we've been saying, not everything seems like something to give thanks for. But I believe that as we recognize the goodness of God, we recognize the sovereignty of God, we recognize the wisdom of God, and we recognize that in comparison to God, we are like an ant, then it helps us to be thankful in those situations and to offer the sacrifice of praise. David was a man who went through a great deal of difficulty. And in Psalm 116, he said, O Lord, truly I am thy servant, I am thy servant, and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. He said he will offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I believe we can picture what it means to give a sacrifice of praise by relating to a few Bible characters. For example, Paul and Silas there at Philippi, they were there as missionaries. They were doing God's work. They were spreading the gospel. And this fortune-telling young lady followed them. And Paul, in godly zeal, cast out the evil spirit from her. Her master, seeing that their hopes hopes of gain were gone, stirred up the people against them. They drew them before the magistrates. They made false accusations. They made a public spectacle of them. Many lashes were laid upon their backs, and they were put in maximum security in shackles, we would say today, although less comfortable than today's shackles in the experience that they had. And what was their response as they sat there? If you want to imagine a little the discomfort that these men were feeling that night, Just sit on the floor with your legs straight out in front of you, your back straight, and your hands out like this for a period of time. There is no way to find a restful position when you're locked into something like that. And so there was no rest. There was no relaxation, even if they could have with their 
bleeding backs. And what was their response? Oh Lord, how could you let this happen to us? No. They prayed and they sang praises. Now I I imagine their prayer might have gone a little like some of David's psalms did in which he starts out crying out to the Lord, why do I find myself in this situation and when are you going to do something about it? And yet he turns in faith again and again as he expresses those things. He turns in faith to to God's faithfulness and says, Lord, you will be strong on my behalf. Lord, you will deliver me from this thing. And he ends up those psalms which start out so bleakly sometimes. Psalm 22 is an example of that if you want to look at one. He ends them on a note of praise. And Paul and Silas, in the midst of their suffering, offered the sacrifice of praise to God. And as one dear brother put it, he said he doesn't think they were singing often weary and worn on the pathway below. And I believe that needs to be our attitude as well. This is not something that we do of our own power. It says here in verse 15 of Hebrews 13, By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That's by the power of Christ within us, by that transformation from an earthly perspective of things to a heavenly perspective. It's only as that carnal nature is dealt with and the power of God dwells within us that we can look at life from a perspective that appreciates who God is and what God is doing and what God can do through things that are beyond our comprehension. And so, by the power of Christ, we offer that sacrifice of praise. And Christ himself gave us an example of being willing to seek God's glory in the midst of the most difficult situations. We're not going to turn to many scriptures this morning, but in John chapter 17, the first few verses, the emphasis of Jesus there in his prayer to the Father, and this was not long before his crucifixion. It was there in those in that final 24 hours is my understanding that he prayed that prayer and his emphasis comes through so clearly in those first few verses that he is seeking the glory of the Father. That's what really mattered to him. That's where... Uh, the way that was what directed his life and that was what would continue to direct his response and i believe it's because of that focus on the glory of his heavenly father that jesus was able to lay aside the hesitation of his body of his humanity and go to the cross we see that that was no easy thing for christ he suffered intensely there in the garden It was decision time there in the garden. Am I going to go through this or am I not? But the way he had lived his life up to that point prepared him to make the right decision. Not to mention the divine nature within him. And so even though this cup of suffering was more, almost more than he could bear to think of, yet he was willing to drink that cup and to suffer for us. And so it ought to be with us as well. When the glory of God becomes our focus, then gratitude naturally follows. Israel had the opposite problem. The children of Israel, as you follow their history there, especially the book of Exodus, 
and so on, through their journey from Egypt into Canaan, we find them again and again living anything but a grateful life. They weren't recognizing God's work in, in their lives. And they became focused on themselves. They became focused on their comforts. They became focused on the now rather than looking to the blessings of the future, rather than looking to the glory of God. And I believe that an ungrateful life will constantly be longing for the leeks and garlics of Egypt, just as the children of Israel did, and forget about the bondage that accompanied that, and thereby be drawn back into bondage. A grateful life is an outworking of recognizing what God has done for us. Gratitude requires recognition. Jesus brought that point out in the account of the woman who loved him much and came under criticism. Jesus' response there was, He who has been forgiven much loves much. And he who has not been forgiven much does not love so much. And that's because it's only in recognition of what God has done for us or what someone has done for us that we can have gratitude. And that recognition requires stepping outside of ourselves and looking at things from another person's perspective. We can't recognize the sacrifices that even our loved ones make for us unless we're willing to step outside of ourselves and look at it from their perspective. All the work, all the effort, all the love that they pour into our lives. We have to step outside of ourselves. Otherwise, we can just selfishly take all this in and take it in and take it in and not recognize how blessed we are. It requires a looking beyond self. And I believe that gratitude is foundational to love. If we do not have a grateful spirit, we will not love. And that holds true in all manner of relationships. It holds true in our relationship with God. It holds true in our relationship with our fellow man. We... Uh